Good morning. How many of you were here last week? Balcony? All right. Let's do what we did last week. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This week, a dear friend of mine in North Carolina uh, shared a story. He was coming home from church last Sunday morning, North Carolina warm, windows down. And one of his neighbors came up to him at a stoplight, warm, North Carolina, windows down. And the woman yells out of her car to my friend Leighton and goes, He is risen! Leighton, quick of mind, goes, Who? <laughs> she goes, Jesus! He goes, When? And she responded, perfect. She goes, Every day, every day. Now, I want you to do this with me. This is going to be a call to worship. We're going to put it up on the screen here. Get ready, everybody? Come on, balcony two. He is risen. Two. Jesus. Yes. Every day. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And I'll tell you, the topic we're going to address this morning, we really need to know he's alive, that he's with us every day, that his power and his presence can make a difference in our lives. I hope you're learning that. If not, you've come to the right place. We are going to tell you that God wants to take up residency inside your life to make you more than you ever imagined you could possibly be. We need it today especially as we talk about this thing called marriage. If you have a Bible, please open it to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. It's on page 1001 in your Bibles that we have on the back of the chairs. All right. Watch Jesus as he deals with the issue of divorce and marriage. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea, and across the Jordan. And a, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he started teaching them. Verse 2. Some Pharisees came and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? All right. Background. Keep your Bible open. We're going to go through this whole passage and some others. But you've got to get this. There is huge political intrigue going on at this point. Jesus is in the very area of Palestine where John the Baptist had done his ministry. John the Baptist called people to turn away from sin and turn to God. John the Baptist talked about things that were wrong in lives. John the Baptist baptized many. But do you recall, and if not, let me just teach it to you, there was a time when John the Baptist was arrested and he was arrested by the king's guards, King Herod. Why? Because John the Baptist said that it was against God's will and God's law for Herod to be married to Herodias. Who was Herodias? Herodias had been Herod's brother's wife. She divorced her husband to marry Herod. In other words, he literally took his brother's wife. Man, John went all over that thing. 
Jesus is in the same region. And the Pharisees, it says, verse 2, came to test him. Why? Ever since the third chapter of the book of Mark, the Pharisees, religious leaders, and the Herodians, the followers of the king, had been plotting together how to stop Jesus. They know how they stopped John. They'll try to do the same thing to get Jesus arrested and killed because they're quite sure what he will say about this whole thing called divorce and marriage. That's our background, all right? Now, look what Jesus says, verse 3. What did Moses command you? He replied. And they said, meaning the Pharisees, Moses permitted to man for man uh, to write a certificate of divorce and send his wife away. Jesus responds, it was because your hearts were hard that he wrote you this law. All right. Now, setting, there is nothing here that's about caring for people who are married. There's nothing going on here that's about caring for people who are divorced. This is legal religious scholars trying to trap Jesus. And so he comes straight back at them. He comes straight back at them. Now, divorce was rampant in that culture just as it is in ours. We know that about 45% of all marriages end in divorce. We know that that figure has doubled in the last 50 years. I know we as pastors and ministers know that many of you here have gone through this. We understand that. Same in Jesus' culture. The Jewish law given by Moses in the 24th chapter of Deuteronomy gave an, a, a, an, an option for people to get divorced. Even the Pharisees used the term here, he permitted. I, I want you to know this. It was never God's will that there be divorce. In a perfect world, there would not be divorce. And incidentally, I don't think I've ever met anyone who's divorced that doesn't agree with that. In a perfect world, it, this wouldn't happen. All right? But it happened, and it happened a lot. Jesus says it's not because God wanted that. It's that God will permit that because you will do more damage to people if we totally forbid it. And so he allows for divorce with special exclusionary capacities. Now, rabbinic schools from the time of Moses had been trying to understand exactly what was allowable, permittable for divorce and what wasn't. One school said the only reason you can ever get divorced is if your spouse has committed adultery. Then you can. And, and there's something to be said to that. You break the oneness bond that God created in marriage and it is fracturous. However, I've seen many marriages that have divorced uh, adultery in them that still heal and become stronger but that was allowed now a second school uh, got a little more liberal this was the Hillel school and Hillel said no no when Moses was saying for uh, certain reasons he, he, he meant not only adultery but really if the wife prepares a bad meal <laughs> I know or he, if she gets a wrinkle where she didn't have a wrinkle. Wrinkle while you work. <laughs> All right. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> Incidentally, every wife in the room is saying, we're not the only ones who wrinkle. All right. <laughs> I get it. 
It got even more liberal. Rabbi Akiba finally said, no, no, no. Actually, if a husband begins to have affections for another woman, he is legally uh, permitted to get divorced. So Jesus knows all of this is going on. And again, Moses allowed for it in some cases because in a sinful world with easy-ending relationships and in a culture where if a woman didn't receive a certificate of divorce, she literally would be cast out and generally only have prostitution as a way to live. At least the certificate of divorce allowed her to say this was legal and she then can remarry in that culture. So in essence... It was a way of God bending toward the brokenness of humanity to stop further catastrophe of the destruction of women's lives. That's what it was behind it all. Well, Jesus only spends one verse on that. He really wants to get what marriage is all about. That's a good thing. Let's not deal with the broken. Let's deal with the whole. Let's look at the real. Let's look at the idea. And then Jesus starts his move, starting in verse 6. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. He actually repeats that twice. And then verse 9, from the lips of Jesus the Christ, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. In the beginning, see the Pharisees have appealed back to Moses. Jesus says, let's really take a look at this thing. And he appeals to the creational design. As William Barclay says here, he goes back, he goes to the very constitution that formed creation itself. And at that constitution, God said, he created them male and female. That's the first thing. Male and female. What's that all about? Well, let's go, let's go back. Let's go to the text that Jesus is actually referring to. And let me show it to you here from Genesis chapter 2, verses 20 through 25. Moses, I'm sorry, Adam gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, all the wild animals. But still, there was no helper just right for him. So, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to the man. At last, he cries out. That's important. The man exclaimed, This one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. First thing from that text, male and female, he created them. Uh, uh, Adam, when he, when he sees Eve, he goes, at last... Now, you know Etta James, and you know Ella Fitzgerald, and you know Beyonce, and you know, at last, 
<laughs> it goes like this. My love has come along. I'm trying to be hip. My lonely days are over. I mean, that's what it's about. It's that this, this, this is it. Dun, dun, dun. That's Kenny Loggins now. Perfect design. Nothing else fit Adam in his creation that God had made. But woman was it. Even biologically, there's connection. It's right. And it's what is. Male and female. Uh, the, the, the term there where it says nothing was fit for Adam, it's like, in the Hebrew, it's like a glove. Nothing fit quite right. But when Eve comes, it was the perfect fit for who he was. And this begins the institution of marriage designed by God for humankind to be the center of human existence and every culture and every generation of humanity. It would bless the world and it would bless those who entered into it. That was the design, male and female. Second thing, talks about the fact, he says, they will become one. Jesus uses the term twice in Mark. He says, one flesh, one flesh. That was a Semitic term and it comes from early Genesis where God, using the Hebrew language, had a beautiful word called echad. Echad. It means one. 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 C.S. Lewis, in trying to get to the bottom of the term echad, says it's as if two humans become a single organism. One. Perfect fit. One. Lewis, again, trying to get behind all this, what it was, he says, single organism. He says, it's like, it's like a lock with only one key that fits. He says, it's like a violin that is nothing without the bow, but the violin with the bow is music. And that's what God intended, that this human institution created by him was meant to do called marriage. One flesh, one flesh. It's the binding together of physical perfection, male and female. It's the binding together of emotion, of spirit. It's the binding together of social. It's the whole deal, baby. It's perfect. It's not until after God has created male and female in His image that He goes... Wow, very good. Wow. Shouldn't surprise us then that, that in Genesis it says, and they were so right that they were naked and not ashamed. Their whole souls bared before one another. Now that's from the Constitution of Creation, chapter 2, verses 20, called the book of Genesis. Incidentally, it is meant to be such a great institution. When it doesn't work, that's why it hurts so bad. 
C.S. Lewis said that divorce, and I I agree with this. I've been in pastoral ministry for 40 years. I've never met a single person who's gone through divorce that didn't say how hard, how awful, how it was. C.S. Lewis says it's like having your legs cut off. God understands. God forgives, and God will heal. But even the pain of the rupture that divorce brings is a sign of the rightness of what God created. I watch people who've lost loved ones. I had a Charlie flag came up after last service. 57 years being married. And his dear wife left him four years ago. You could feel it. Boy, that's a separation that's painful. God made something great. We define it like this. A marriage is a lifelong, monogamous oneness between a man and a woman. A lifelong, monogamous oneness between a man and a woman. In creation, in the ideal, that's what God created. Now, I haven't said anything yet about the lifelong. I need to say just a word about the lifelong here because um, Jesus says that. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. (laughs) Marriage is glorious and marriage is hard. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Marriage is the best of times and marriage... Is the worst of times. Can I get an amen? <laughs> of course. Glorious but hard. Tim Keller writes, it says, No marriage more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale. <laughs> hard, hard, hard. But you'll be so pleased to know that 60% of marriages in our culture Uh, men and women in them say very happy. 60% very happy. And uh, longitudinal studies that have been done suggest that two-thirds or 66% of unhappy marriages move into the happiness category if they just stick at it. I find that wonderfully encouraging and not surprising. See, God made this thing. When God made it, he made it a great thing. He made it for life. And it kind of makes me and some people I was talking to after the first service say, we just got to let go of these little things that cause division in our marriages and realize the enduring value. My dream is that one day at Wheaton Bible, when you see a stunning couple walk through the lobby... They won't be 25 or 30 and handsome and beautiful. They'll be 75. And they will have the word 50, 60, or 70 attached to them. That's radiance. Amen? Well, for those of us who are married, how do we get there to that? And I can't spend a lot of time with this today, but I have uh, set up a little thing called the Road to a Radiant Marriage. 
And if you'll allow me, I'd like to take five or six minutes and take you to the book of, of Ephesians in the New Testament. Ephesians. So move from Mark to your right. Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to talk about the road to a radiant marriage. Ephesians chapter 5. It's on page 1159. 1159 in the Bibles you have there uh, in the pews. All right. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, we have the road to a radiant marriage. Summarizing it, look at verse 15. Be very careful how you ought to live. Be very careful how you ought to live. Not as unwise, but as wise. And make the most of every opportunity. Because the days we live in are evil. So that's the background. Whatever he's going to say to us is calling us to wisdom in evil days. Okay? Now, look at verse 18. This is the first command that comes in here. Here's how you get wise. Do not get drunk on wine. That only leads to debauchery instead. And here it is. It's in a command in the Greek. Be filled with the Spirit. Before you can even think about having a great marriage, you've got to remember you're not great. God is. And only when God's presence, God's Spirit, is literally filling you to overflowing will you become the kind of person you need to be that engineers and sustains a vibrant marriage. So it starts with be filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how do I get filled with the Holy Spirit? Every day, in a multitude of ways, whenever you sense worry in your life, you're not filled with the Spirit. Whenever you have anger, you're not filled with the Spirit. Whenever you're jealous, you're not filled with the Spirit. Any of those things are warning symptoms symptoms that should cause us to say oh God I'm sorry fill me with yourself again and then the presence and the wholeness of the power and the perfection of Jesus Christ who indwells in you begins to shape your soul this is most of our souls kind of an empty thing trying to live life <laughs> I don't know if this will work, and I wouldn't have tried this in the traditional service, but <laughs> here's what's supposed to happen. We get filled with all the fullness of God, and that's the fullness of sheer perfection, character, gifts the fullness of God Paul is literally saying don't even think about marriage until you understand what it is to know God and be filled with God now then follow on the road with me verse 21 after he's taught that fullness of God then he says so now submit to one another out of reverence for Christ submit then right after that in 22, it talks about wives submitting. And in verse 23, it talks about men submitting through love. And then it talks about the ch as the church submits to Christ, he brings up this whole issue of <gasps> subjection. The only way a relationship works, the only way that marriage works, is when Lon freely subjects himself to Marie 
And Marie freely subjects herself to Lon. Too many people in today's world get married for a me marriage. It's going to make a bigger me. Marriage was never intended to be just about you having a bigger me, although that happens. It was always meant to be about a thee and we. And it's not until we lay down our arms. You know, the word submit is a military term. It literally is like a private standing before a general, receiving a command, no matter what it is, and says, yes, sir. How do we become the kind of men and women that learn to submit? Isn't the essence of love serving? Only when the Holy Spirit's filled you. Only when you're full of God will your need bank account be full enough so that you can give yourself away to the one you call husband or wife. But the more we learn to give ourselves away in the service to husband and wife. And incidentally, there's some specialties there. For men, that means to cherish the wife. And for ladies, the way that you, uh, the way that you live in service to your husband is through this thing called respect. Men have an insatiable need to be honored and respected. Ladies have an insatiable need to be cherished. That's how you serve. Subject to one another. You say, oh man, I thought marriage, oh man, oh man. Carry on down the road, verse 27. Jesus is, I'm sorry, Paul is now talking about what happens as Jesus gives himself to the church in that kind of service. And it says in verse 27, it's so that Jesus can present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, holy and blameless. The ultimate goal of marriage is radiance. Radiance that is holiness that happens as a wife loves her husband and as a husband loves and serves her wife. It starts building radiance, which is another word for holiness, in the one who does it and it starts building radiance and holiness in the one who is receiving it. Radiance, radiance, holiness, holiness happens. When we're filled with God, we submit and we start to see it happen. I've heard Pastor Rob say several times, marriage is never intended to make you happy, it's intended to make you holy. I'd like to add just a little bit to that. Marriage is on the far side. Marriage's happiness is on the far side of holiness. The more you pursue service, building radiance, the happier your marriage becomes. So I like to say, marriage is intended to make you holy and then happy. And then happy. Road to a radiant marriage. Well, That's really all I can do with it today. And I'm kind of glad. Because in some ways, the sermon's really only intended to be the hors d'oeuvres or the appetizer to God building His whole life in and through us. And what I want to do with my last couple minutes is let you know all the ways the church, your church, this church, wants to serve you 
in this incredible estate called marriage. So we're going to put it up on the screen for you right there. Resources for marriage at Wheaton Bible Church. We want our church to be known as a marriage church, not only starting marriages, but sustaining marriages all the way through. And so we have, for those anticipating marriage, preparation for marriage workshop. My precious daughter Courtney and her wonderful young man uh, just went through that. Um, and, and they loved it, what it has done for them both. Beginning in marriage, how many of us were a little shocked once we really got into this thing, what it took? So we have a Sunday school class called Adult Community called As One, Oneness. Then we have Renovating Marriage. We call it Re-Engage. And there's a course called Re-Engage, and it's for any marriage that needs and wants a tune-up. It's, it's a tough thing being married. So re-engage helps to tune up marriages that need some tweaking and it helps overhaul marriages that are breaking. It's for anyone in our church who is married to get into re-engage. And then we do special conferences and then sermons like this one. And then, then our pastors and ministry staff are available to help anyone who's struggling in this thing. And then finally, for those who are recovering from the deep loss of a broken marriage, either through death or through divorce. Grief share and divorce care, they both happen on Monday nights. You are so welcome to be involved in those. You'll find good counsel from the scriptures and you'll find people that stand alongside you in these times. Next, I want to recommend a couple of books to you. And I hope you'll take this serious. We bought a whole bunch of these. They're in the bookstore. You can get them today. First one is called The Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. It's really superb. Yeah, it's on the philosophy and the theology of marriage. Good, good, good stuff. Uh, Tim is a deep, deep well. Whenever Tim Keller's in the room, he's the smartest person there. Okay? And, and we all recognize that. So it's great stuff. Emerson Edurich's book called Love and Respect, so practical on teaching how to serve one another through love or respect. I actually preached a sermon on that subject two years ago this Sunday, April 29th, on this concept of love. So we commend those things to you. We believe uh, at Wheaton Bible Church that every marriage should be enjoyable, fulfilling, and energizing. Yeah. Pray with me. So God, I commit to you every couple in our church, especially those who may be struggling with marriage, and then also for the half-happy marriages, that you bring wholeness and healing and hope for those who have lost through grief or divorce. Fill them with your Holy Spirit to sustain them in these times. And then, Lord, remind us that you are with us and that when we are happy in you, we are happy with one another. I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.